July 22nd, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Afzadihe Amud Aleph. If you count from the bottom, it's 12 lines up. It's six words before the end of the line. The Gemara is in the context of talking about how after hearing about or realizing that uh, the king, that David HaMelech is in trouble, he must be in a situation of danger, Eviatar determines that it's his opportunity, it's his responsibility to go and take care of David, to go and uh, rescue him. And as a result, the Gemara describes how he picks up on the circumstances, situation by, and I want to call to, to attention uh, what, uh, what Jared pointed out to me at the end of the class yesterday, he realizes from context what took place, that something's wrong with David because of the following. If you recall, the Gemara told us just a few lines up, not Eviatar, Avishai, the Gemara told us just a few lines earlier that he was uh, washing his hair on Friday afternoon. And the Gemara said, furthermore, that he sees that the water that he's washing himself with has some stains of blood in it. Alternatively, he sees, the Gemara said, Ikad de Amre, Avishai sees a fluttering dove and understands there's something wrong, either because of the, the stains of blood in the water or because of the dove. And Knesset Israel, the Gemara explains, is likened to a dove. That's very telling because the Gemara doesn't describe some sort of prophetic encounter. It doesn't describe a nivuah or a dream of some sort or a messenger who arrives at Avishai's door. Rather, it describes how he picks up specifically from nature's occurrences in his life. He's attuned to the fine details, to the nuances of life, realizes something must be askew, something must be off, there's a real lesson inherent in that, to be able to pick up on what's taking place in the life of others. In our own lives, sometimes, oftentimes, is very difficult, but very necessary that we be attuned to the world around us. The moment that we let down our guard and we're no longer noticing and sensitive to that natural world which surrounds us is the moment that we're outside of reality, even though perhaps we envision ourselves as being tapped into an alternative reality. That's what the Gemara describes uh, just by way of description in this story, how Avishai picks up on this. That says the Gemara afterwards, if you recall, he determines that he has to uh, climb mount the uh, mule of the king in order to catch up with David. Says the Gemara here, again, six lines on, uh, before the end of the line, 12 lines up. The Gemara says that he, uh, he mounts the uh, mule of the king of David. And he gets onto it and begins going. Says the Gemara, the land jumped for him. This is what we refer to as kefisat ad-derich, the Gemara at the bottom of the Amud will call our attention to in the eyes of the rabbis other places where this took place. As he's on his way to encountering again, he's on his way to save David. He's going to encounter the brother of, uh, of Goliath. He sees the mother of Goliath. But really, this is Yishbi Benov, whom he's going to encounter, right? There's Goliath, whom David has killed off. There's Yishbi Benov, and that's the uh, character, that's the person who's at the center of this story. And on his way, he encounters the mother of, obviously, the two of them. That's Orpah. As we mentioned earlier in the Pasuk, it doesn't describe her per se as Orpah, 
maybe harapa, the Gemara Masechet Sotah, the general tradition of the rabbis, is it's the same person, that orpa that we know. Anyway, Hazyeh, he sees le orpa ime dehavat navla. He sees that she's weaving. He sees that she's crocheting on the side of the road. Of course, he's on his way into the Pelishtim territory. Ki haziteh, when she, orpa, sees Avishai, the murderer of her other son, or rather the person who caused or was aligned with David as the murderer of Goliath, the one who kills Goliath, paskata lepilcha, she cuts off the spindle, which apparently is, uh, has a sharp edge, and she intends with it to throw it at Avishai in order to kill him. Shadateh ilaveh, she throws it onto him. Savra lemiktele, her intent, her will is to kill Avishai. Amrale, after missing, I guess she has bad aim, Amrale elem ayetile pelech, she says, young man, please bring me that spindle. Patkeh beresh moha vekatla. Avishai picks it up, and spears it into her head and kills her. So he leaves the mother behind. Orpa is dead on the side, I guess, or buried. And now Avishai is on, uh, marching forward on his mission to save David. When Yishbi Binov, that's the, again, the antagonist over here, the one who has attacked David, when he sees Avishai, Amar, now there are two against me, both David and Avishai. David, I can't seem to kill easily. Avishai is going to team up with me, with him, and in turn, it's going to be dangerous for me. Patke le David le'ela, says the Gemara. He takes David, throws him into the air. Vidatz le lerumche. And he nails his, his sword, his, his spear, into the ground. So it's a strange situation. He wants to throw David up and hope that David will fall down and die by being speared by that sword, which he nails into the ground. Why is he doing it in such a strange fashion? Just take your sword and spear David, do a pinehas action of some sort. Yad Rama suggests maybe the circumstance is such that he wants to make this look silly. He wants to make it look like an embarrassment to David. I didn't just kill you in a natural fashion. I killed you in a fashion where I just threw you up like a ball and you fell down onto the sword. Alternatively, whether this is you know, the Peshat, quote-unquote, and what took place or not, it could be suggested that here, if you recall, the whole episode begins with, David, you want to know what you caused by allowing, in some way or fashion, for Novir HaKohanim to be killed off. You caused, number one, and number two, and number three was the death of Shaul and his three sons. If you follow the Pesukim and the Navi with regards to the death of Shaul, it's very much in that fashion. It's a little bit cryptic. The Mefarshim have difficulty explaining exactly what and how it took place, but Shaul is certainly toppled over onto a sword. So the vision, therefore, of the rabbis reconstructing the potential and the almost the near-death experience of David by falling onto a sword is very telling. Anyways, Amar Nepul Allah, the vision, the hope of Yishbi Benov is that David will fall onto this Romah Viniktal and he will be killed. Amar Avishai Shem, Avishai Ben Seruyah, who's there on his way to save David, who hasn't yet had an opportunity to attack, 
but he's watching it happen, says the Gemara, he says, Shem, this is a reference to Shem HaMeforash. He's able to, and it's interesting, going back to Jared's point, he's able to tap into reality in ways beyond, quote, the natural. So he's so, and this is the, really the way I envision, it's not a, uh, per se, a rationalistic approach, but when the Hachamim talk about saying Shem HaMeforash and altering reality, it means that you began with being so in touch with reality. The only way you could somehow get into, so to speak, the main matrix of existence is by understanding the matrix. You can then manipulate it. Anyway, there's the shem that he recites, and as a result, David is, so to speak, hovering in between heavens and earth. He's neither on the ground, he's nor in the heavens. What's that? Asks the Gemara, why didn't he himself, David, say Shem HaMeforash to save his own life? Answers the Gemara, in Havush Motsi Atzmom Beta Asurim, a well-known rabbinic statement that the uh, person who's in, uh, who's in prison can't free themselves. What's the idea behind that? Not a metaphysical, out-of-this-world description. When you are in jail, when you are locked up, it's hard for you to think cogently. For the person who's outside, who's not under the stress and the anxiety of being in, uh, in chains, in the ch- inner chamber of, uh, of prison, that person can be scheming, that person can be determining. Again, unless you're one of these, I don't know, these uh, cargo guys who knows how to do it time and again. But generally speaking, you assume you need someone who has a clear mind, more facilities and, and the mechanisms to save. Amar my ba'itacha. So Avishai now turning to David, saving him, but not understanding exactly what happened, why this happened. He says, what are you doing here? How did this happen? Uh, this is what God told me, and this is how I answered. Remember what he told him, what he answered according to the Midrash? David is turned to by God. God turns to David and he says to him, you should know you're responsible for a lot of terrible things that happened. You have a choice because of Nov, that's why we're dealing with Yishvi Benov. You have a choice. Either I'll destroy your descendants, or I'll give you over to an enemy. And David says, I don't want the destruction of my descendants. You remember this was the beginning of the Midrash. It all began like this. David says, I'd rather instead hand me over to an enemy. That's why I'm here. You handed me over to, God handed me over to Yishbi Binov. And that's why I'm in this. Amar Leh says uh, Avishai to David. David, you know, with all due respect, you don't really choose properly. You should flip your prayer. You should turn to God, Salih means to pray, you should turn to God and pray that the opposite should happen. The opposite should happen, that my descendants should be killed off. Berach kira lizbun, it's better that your child, your son, sell wax. Ve'at and you, latitzta'el, shouldn't have sorrow and pain. That's the statement, is that the way we envision our own lives? I mean, maybe not in the here and now. If it's a choice between me or my son, the immediate aftermath of Yikotan, that's one thing. The Gemara Masechet Kiddushin talks about, however, Talmud Torah for the father or for the child. And generally speaking, we prefer the child. The father, the father's dealing with themselves. Unless the child is endowed, is imbued with a certain sharpness above and beyond the father's capabilities. But beyond that, what the Gemara is really, in my mind, speaking out is, this is a down-the-line circumstance. 
circumstance. It's not going to be that his descendants are killed off immediately. You're not supposed to be involved in such planning in God's kafsheh de rahmana, God's plans in the future. Question is, in the here and now, are you being given over to the enemy or are your descendants? I don't know about my descendants' future. God's asking me to make a decision. I need to deal with my circumstance. Amale and the Gemara will implicitly suggest something else in a few moments with regards to this decision, that it's more than just he and his descendants, I'll tell to you from now, it's he as the king of all of Am Yisrael in this moment and his descendants, which means to say the description in turn of David's circumstance is one that's unique. You or your descendants, but you, we're all dependent upon you. Amalie le says David Abishai, if this is so, please help me out. Again, I'm in a perturbed situation. I'm a little bit distracted. I'm going to pray now to God. Help me out. Avishai ben Suruya, Marviuda Marav, She Azaro, Bitfila. Pasuk says that Avishai helps David with something. The Dirasha, the tradition is he helps him with prayer. It's in reversing this decree from God. Amar Avishai, Shem, Avishai again says the name of Christ. Keep in mind, uh, we're dealing with, I guess they're somehow having a conversation, but Yishbi Benov is still there. There's still the threat of annihilation. Uh, what are we going to do? Amar Avishai Shem va'ahate. David is still in between heavens and earth. So David says the name again. The Shem ha'meforash. And David, excuse me, Avishai does. And David comes down. Havakaradif batrahu. And they're being chased after by Avishai. Avishai is chasing after David and, excuse me, Yishvi Benov is chasing after Avishai and David. Let me very briefly go to re- review what happened over here, all right? We're skipping many of the details. Here is David threatened by Yishvi Benov. Avishai, realizing this, understanding there's a danger, comes to the rescue. He arrives on the scene, that's where we picked up today. He sees David up in the air on his way down. Yishbi Benov, this brother of Goliath, is about to kill him. And he says, Shema Meforash, David is, suspend, is suspended in between earth and heaven, heaven and earth. And they have this quick conversation. And then Avishai gets him down. He's down, and they're still vulnerable. Yishbi Benov is a strong individual. It might be that David knew how to beat his brother Eviatar. He's not equipped, at least at this juncture, it appears, to kill Yishbi Benov easily. As a result, so David is now standing next to Avishai. They're looking at Yishbi, and they feel threatened. They begin to run. Hava karadif batrayu. He's running after them. That's the continuation of the story. Ki kubi. When they come to a place in between Eres Israel and Eretz Pelishtim called Kubi. And the Gemara is going to make a derasha why it was called Kubi. Amre, they said, Kum be, Milashon Kubi. Let's stand up to him. Let's handle him. And they don't. Kimata betere. So it sounds like they continue running. And they come to the place which is known as the place of two. Amre, uh, they say, Bitre Gurian Katlua Le Arye. Two cubs can perhaps or maybe they say it incredulously, cannot kill off the larger lion. Who are the two cubs? Avishai and David, who's the larger lion? Not Sanchiriv over here, but rather Yishbi Benov. Amrele, instead of being able to easily kill him, they realize they need to catch him on a certain vulnerability. They say to Yishbi Benov, Ishtakah orpa imech bekivra. You might want to go look for your mother, Orpa. You'll find her in the ground, in a grave. 
Once they mention the name of the mother, I mean, this is like out of a movie. Once they mention the name of his mother, kahash hele, his strength is diminished, vikatle, and he gets killed. All right, that's the end of it. Says the Gemara, in concluding, And it's for that that the people said to David, don't leave, don't go out to fight battles, because if we, if we lose you, we lose the candle of Israel. That's what I was telling you earlier, that there might be implicitly in that last line, this was a David story above and beyond anything else. It's true, he's losing descendants, and we'll read about that. And we do have Pesukim in the Navi that describe his descendants' loss in the future. But David, you understand what we need from you? You are the candle of Israel. Says the Gemara in just one last thought on this strange but tantalizing story, if you will. Tanura Banana Beraitas suggests this Midrash, together with two others, talk about Kefisata Derech, how the ways, the path, of running, of walking from one place to the other, has been, or will be, shortened in some miraculous or above nature fashion. It happened three times in the eyes of the rabbis. For three people, so to speak, the land jumped, which means to say I'm going from running from here to Brooklyn, instead of taking me, I don't know, two days, it took me uh, two hours. Who are the three for whom this took place, it transpired? Uh, the first one, Eliezer Eved Abraham, Yaakov Avinu is the second one, and Avishai Ben Siruya. Working backwards, say the rabbis, how do we know about each of these? Let's start with Avishai Ben Siruya. Hade Amaran, that's the story we just told you. There's no Pesukim we can point to to prove this. That's our tradition that Avishai Ben Siruya, after hearing about the danger of David with Yishvi Benov, jumps onto his mule, so that's the first reference of Kefisat HaDerech. What about Eliezer Eved Abraham? It's a fascinating thing. We know that the rabbis will always refer to the person who takes care of the marriage of Yitzhak as Eliezer Eved Abraham. You should know, however, and you may have heard this or realized this in Parashat Hayesara, it never references or mentions the name of that slave and servant of Abraham. We know Eliezer already from Parashat Vayera, but he turns in Parashat Hayesara to his Eved. We don't know who that is. The Hachamim say it's Eliezer, whatever. What other Eved Ne'eman does he have? Okay, here. Ben Meshek Beti, the Mesek Eliezer. Yeah, but again, we don't have them Parashat Hayesara. You have that by Berit Ben Abetarin. You have Abraham saying that. Anyway, says the Patsuk. How do you know that Eliezer Kafesalo Haderech Dichti Va'avo Hayom El Ha'ain Lememrada Uyoma Nafak? Period. Says the Patsuk that uh, Eliezer, or the Eved Avraham, as he's talking to the parents and family of Rivka, he's retelling the story. He says, I came today to the spring or to the water source. What's with the reference of today? Why was the reference of Why does he say Hayom? The Darashah of the rabbis of that extra word, Hayom is today. I came today and I arrived today. To travel from where he was to there in one day is Kifisata Derech. We'll talk about the significance of Kifisata Derech in a second. But beforehand, Yaakov Abinu. Go ahead. I mean, you'll have it over there. No, I don't know per se. Hayom, I don't know per se. Yeah. It's Rosh Hashanah. That's, that's the That's the Derashah of the Hachamim. That's the Derashah of the Hachamim. Yeah, that's all. 
All right. Well, not over here. Anyway, says the Gemara. I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't remember the midrash. Yaakov Abinu dichti vayese Yaakov mi be'er shava vayelech Haran uchti vayifkah b'makom vayalen sham kibah Hashemesh kimatal Haran Amar efshar avarti amakom sheitpalu ba avotai va'ani lo hitpalalti ba ba'el mehedar kevan dihirher bedagatol mehedar. Say the Pesukim with regards to Yaakov, the very beginning, the onset of Parashat Vayet says he's running away from his brother Esav, the end of Parashat Toledot. So we segue quickly into Parashat Vayet and Pasuk says he leaves Be'er Shava and he's going to Haran and the understanding is he arrives at Haran. And then the Pasuk says, and we soon find out the name of that place is Bet'el, says Rashi on the side of our page over here. Bet'el is Yerushalayim, interesting reference. There's Mahlok about which Bet'el we're dealing with, where exactly he was. Regardless, it's a Bet'el, which we're imagining and understanding is far from Haran. So how did this all happen in one day? He makes his way to... That's the other Betel, or maybe the same one, you know, that's the Abraham Betel. Yeah, I'm the might be the same. Uh, anyway, you know, there's, 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 there's lots of, lots of, not problems, difficulties with pinpointing the Betel, but as Rashi writes over here, we're referring in his mind to Betel, uh, so he makes, uh, that's, that's a very quick uh, journey. It's uh, not, not exactly doable uh, in such short a time. Says the Gemara, here's what took place. What took place was he makes his way beyond Betel, he gets to Haran, he's on his way to finding, well, ultimately speaking, his two wives, his future father-in-law, and so forth, but he realizes as he gets to Haran, ah, if Shah, is it possible I passed over the place where my forefathers, Abraham and Ishaq, prayed, and I didn't? Pause for a second. First and foremost, when did Abraham and Ishaq pray? at this Betel. So Rashi says, perhaps there's a pasuk by Abraham, the one that Morris refers to earlier. He says, by Yitzhak, I don't know of such a pasuk. It's an interesting thing. The Gemara kind of matter-of-factly states. He says, Abraham Yitzhak prayed there. We don't really have a reference in Pesukim to that. Okay, regardless, says the pasuk, he's regretting, before I go onward, that's an interesting thing as well. He has a certain appreciation for the Makom. He has a certain appreciation for the place where, not just a sanctified place, but rather the place where my forefathers were uh, connected to God. He understands the sanctity and the significance of the place in such a fashion. Okay, that has certain, certain relevance to us as well. And then lastly, in terms of, well, let's just review what happened over here. So he makes his way there, he regrets, he realizes, and then, and God, so to speak, zooms him backward. Pause for a second, and I ask you, why didn't God awaken him in that moment? Why didn't God say to him, by the way, you're in Betel? Why didn't God knock on his brain and say to him, don't you want to pray over here? Instead, it's, so to speak, he makes his way there, he realizes then, and then God brings him back. It seems clear in this Gemara that these sorts of realities in life, in a relationship with God, as the rabbis have in many other circumstances, begin with our steps forward. When we realize, when we have a will, so then, will then open it, you open that opening of a needle, but you opened it initially, well then it can be spread out, which means to say Yaakov was not going to be awakened from outside, if the inspiration began from him, so then God would and so forth. The Chachamim have this sort of vision and description throughout. 
it's a vision and description we can, in our own ways, if you've ever felt and experienced it, relate to. It's a circumstance wherein I took the first step and as a result felt myself propelled forward, but the first steps were not easy and pushed upon me. That's the description over here. Now, what's with the derasha with regards to Vayifka' Bamakom? Rashi suggests that the Pasuk seems to say Vayifka' Bamakom, so to speak, he just bumps into the place. He just happens upon the place. I don't know. He's on his way. He should know that he's arriving at the place. It doesn't say Vayavoy Lamakom. Vayifka' is almost a Lashon Hafta'ah. He's, well, how did this happen? And in turn, say the rabbis, it must be that there was a kefisat aderch ba'el mehedar again. He wanted to turn back. Kevanti hirher bedato. Once he just thought about it in his mind, le mehedar to go back. Kafesale areh ara. The land jumps for him. Miad vayifkam ba'makom. Just very briefly. What's with this kefisat aderch? with regards to some sort of understanding. In each of these circumstances, what the Chachabim are describing is a mission in which the person passionately is going to fulfill in their mind and in our mind the will of heaven. When a person transcends the material, when a person, very difficult, is able to rise above the physical, well then the constructs and realities that we accept as absolute realities of time, space, and even physicality are as well beyond the regular circumstances. To understand that when I tap outside of time, because I tapped into a truth and a reality that lies beyond. That's what the hachamim in my mind describe over here. Kefisat doesn't just heck it happen. It happens if the person, I mean, again, there's, there's a certain truth with regards to experience on this one as well, in terms of in a lifetime in which a person is passionate about getting something. I don't know how I was able to. Looking back at that, how did I have enough hours in the day to fulfill this? Of course there's a natural interpretation, but it's specifically because you were tapped into a truth beyond the here and now that you were able to fulfill that. That's very much in my mind what Kefisat HaDerch. Davar Ahir, says the Gemara, alternatively, let's explain this pasuk, Vayifka Bamakon Em Ela tefillah, the Lashon Pigi'ah is a reference to prayer. Yaakov prayed at that juncture. This is, of course, referred to in the Gemara Masech Berachot as well, in the context there on the Kavav of the Avot being Metaken the Tefilot. Shene'emar ve'ata al titpalel be'ad ha'amazeh ve'altisa ba'adam rina utvila ve'al tifga'bi. The words to Yirmiyahu Hanavi are don't be pogabi immediately beforehand saying, don't pray to me. So there's a certain simile over here. Don't pray to me, don't be pogabi. Clearly in turn, say the rabbis, pigiaz lashon tefillah. There's something interesting. I said this at the, uh, at, the, at the opening Shabbat last year. Well, for all intents, at the Stanley Cheer Appreciation Shabbat. Uh, uh, see what the Gemara over here and then Masech Berachot turns to with regards to the avot. The avot are the miyasedeh tefillah in the eyes of the rabbis. They are those who laid the foundations for prayer. Listen to this pasuk. This pasuk doesn't say he stopped and opened the book or said specific words. There's a certain organic experience, something naturally 
really occurring. He's kind of at the top of this mountain. He's on this mountaintop and he realizes a certain feeling of vulnerability and he opens his mouth or mind to prayer. Yitzhak by Yitzhak, Yitzhak lasuach basadeh. And the simple interpretation, just walking out in the field, organic, experiential moment wherein maybe he's feeling vulnerable and he discovers God. Abraham vayashkem Abraham he wakes up to the place where he was initially with the Sodom story. Each of those describe the opposite of any structure, any vision of what we envision as a Bet Knesset today, which at first is a little sobering and sad. It means that our prayer was built on the foundations of, I'm feeling a need to find God. I experienced, like Avishai did, nature in a fashion wherein he just happened upon me or I found him. And yet look at our prayer today, it's so structured. The words are even fed to us. The books are written with regard to the words that we must say in the prayer three times a day in particular times. It is initially a bit sobering and sad, I should suggest. However, the origins of anything and everything are always very telling about the ideal approach to it. So the ideal of prayer then is not about dispensing of the words. It's not about moving beyond and against the structure. It's about finding within the structure the opportunity for an organic connectedness, which means to say within the prayer's words, within those times, within the quorum of men, men that you find yourself in, if it becomes mechanical, if it becomes just words that I say because that's what's printed and times that I encounter because that's what I'm told to do, you've lost the meaning and message of prayer. You've gone beyond, well beyond, it is as well during this time period as we envision and understand the destruction of the Mikdash, to a certain extent what I am reminded of as well, during times of destruction, as we look to regroup, we oftentimes build the words of the prayer is as a result of exile. There's something very beautiful to unifying through structure. However, there's a particular loss with that. We lost the opportunity to connect in easily that organic and spontaneous way. Shohan Aruch, which is a fantastic and amazing book of halakha, it, with it, with Mishneh Torah Harambam, each written during times of difficulty, exile, post-exile, in terms of gathering people together and giving them structure, there's something lost with that as well. The ability for people to be determining the law and the approach and the connectedness to God in almost an individual way, there's something lost with that. But again, the origins are very telling and instructive with regards to our approach of God. If it becomes just structural, if it becomes just this is what I do because this is what I'm told to do. You've really missed the point. Says the Gemara onward, The Pasuk says, and he lies there, he sleeps there because the sun came. Now, if you have a Pasuk which talks about doesn't mean that it comes out, as you would imagine. Here comes the sun, rather refers to it going in. Okay, but that being the case, the Pasuk says, after he finishes praying, says the Gemara, the Gemara reconstructing the Yaakov circumstance. Here he is in Bet El, backwards, when he was on his way to Haran, to Aram Naharaim, to find his future wife and family. And he finishes his prayer after he went backwards, Batan, he finishes it, he wants to go back to where he was. Wants to go back to Haran. Sadiq Zeba Lebet Maloni Yipater Belolina. 
You think that this righteous one is making his way to my dwelling place, to uh, Bethel, and I'm just going to my motel, and my hotel, and I'm not going to let him, I'm not going to force him to sleep the night. In other words, I'd like to spend a little bit more time with him. Maybe we can get a little bit more intimate in our relationship. He can sleep here for the night on the top of the mountain. And keep in mind as well, you know, that is the greatest encounter for all intents and purposes in the Torah. That is the Sudam Musa Varsa in this moment. So the vision of the Hachamim, ironically and amazingly, first and foremost is Yaakov missed it initially and he needed to bring it upon himself. And secondly, he's about to leave it and God holds him on. I mean, it's an amazing thing. This is the Sulam Musa Varsa. So the derasha goes as follows, moving ahead to after the fight of Yaakov with this mysterious, mysterious ish, of course, the Sarosh of Esav in the eyes of the Hachamim, the Pasuk says he's Yerecho, he is limping away, but the Pasuk says he lets go and they part ways as Vayizrah Lo, and for him the sun shines. What's for him the sun shines? Say the rabbis, it's for him because it's the same sun which set for him in the past, so to now it's shining. For him, that's the vision. Beyond that, Rashi says that the pasuk in talking about kibah hashemesh doesn't say in the regular narrative sense vayavo hashemesh and the sun set. It rather says kibah hashemesh because the sun set. Oh, that's a little bit sudden. What do you mean sudden? Uh, Yaakov, you didn't realize the sun was beginning to set. It's so to speak. God caused that in the moment in order to keep. Yaakov there, just quickly reviewing what took place here with Yaakov. The vision of the rabbis is he's on his way forward. He realizes he missed an opportunity with regret. Kefisata derech backwards. He's there. He now wants to move forward. God has the sun set for him. How do you know it's sunset for him? Number one, kibah Hashemesh. Number two, vayizrach lo Hashemesh, specifically for him later on. The same sun which, so to speak, is working for him now, or was the one who worked, which worked for him in the past, it's a vision of Harambam, Ramchal touches on this as well, with regards to understanding nature in our own lives and lives of those who are of their Hashem. To understand nature as something which is opposing me and beyond my quote-unquote control with regards to my mission is a wrongful understanding. Instead, see the sun as setting for you. Realize that in your own avodah, you can and must envision and realize in existence the fact that nature can and does work for you. Says the Gemaran, David. And how do we know? Back to the David story. Ah, but um, took a nice interlude over here with regards to Yaakov. Why did we stop with Yaakov? Because of Kefisat Taderich. Why did we talk about Kefisat Taderich? Because of Avishai, who in going to rescue David, the ground jumps for him. But now we're back to David. Let's finish that story with David. The story is finished. But we said David, ultimately speaking, opts into, I'll lose my descendants, and be handed over to an enemy. Says the Gemara, how do we know? Do we know that he lost his descendants? Dichtiv, indeed we do. Says the Pasuk in Sefer Melachim Bet, Va'atalya, Em Ahaziahu, Ra'ata Kimet Bena. Ahaziahu was the king at that time period, and Atalya, his, his mother, excuse me, who was the descendant of Ahav and Izeva. We're not dealing with a very happy and, and positive juncture in our history. She sees her son dies. 
She's nervous about someone else taking the throne. As a result, she gets up and she wipes out, this of course long after the death of David, any of the other descendants of David. Her vision is she wants to seize control. She's not ceding it to anyone else. As a result, says the Pasuk, she destroys everyone. Says the Gemara, but we know the story, don't we? She didn't actually destroy everyone. Not all the descendants of David are dead. In the Midrash, you just told me, David says, I'll lose all my descendants. Yoash ishtayerle, says the Gemara. Yoash was left over. There was a descendant. She did have a son, Atalia, whose name was Yoash, and he's one year old. His aunt takes him in, and she raises and rears him to be the next king. So they didn't actually kill, says the Gemara. Yoash hatam name Excuse me. Says the Gemara. Veha ishtayerle Yoash. Answers the Gemara. Hatam name ishtayer eviatar dichtivaimalet ben echad lachemelech ben achitu v'shmo. Says the Gemara, with regards to understanding the destruction and the loss of all, well, in the story of Nov, we said all the Kohanim were killed. Not all the Kohanim were killed. Eviatar was, uh, stayed alive. He emerges as the one who escaped. So too in the story of David. After all, this is a punishment to David in the eyes of the rabbis for what he did to Nov. There was one who remained. As, therefore, as well, by the story of David, although his descendants are quote-unquote utterly destructed, there is one who stands out, and that's this grandchild named Yoash. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen, amen.